Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Well, another week at it, and we're doing another podcast. This is to be a continuation podcast from the one last week with uh, Gary Emery. This will be Gary Emery Part 2. Lots to talk about. He has a, a pretty deep history with, uh, obviously, starting with building the first Baja, but then how that evolves into creating a company called Porsche Parts Obsolete, and then moves into the uh, outlaw world of... Porsches. He's pretty much the guy that they coined the name Outlaw after, and we get into all those stories and a few miscellaneous stories in and out. It was a good time, and it was worth uh, breaking into two podcasts so that you can uh, follow along. Well, some different news in the VW scene. Uh, we lost one of our VW brothers, uh, Carlos CRG Guzman, and uh, it's a shame. You know, things happen and uh, we, we lose our family sometimes and uh, shout out to him and his family and, uh, you know, our prayers with his family. Um, and hopefully coming up in the next little bit, I'll get some uh, people on here. Maybe we'll do a tribute podcast to CRG and uh, just get some friends and whatnot to kick out some memories of him. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, it's unfortunate, but we'll uh, we'll do something in the future for that for sure. I'm hoping I'm looking forward to getting a couple of his friends on here. Um, other than that, uh, Octo's happening this weekend, and so I'll be out at Octo, and I'll see you guys there Saturday. Let's Talk Dubs have a booth. Come by. Support the podcast. If you want to pick up a shirt, come grab a shirt. Uh, if you want to get some stickers, come by, grab some stickers, or want to come by and just say, hey, and tell me which is your favorite podcast. So I look forward to seeing some of you guys out there. Uh, George T. will be out there. We'll be unveiling the quicksand bus, which is, I'm just going to go and say, one of the baddest buses out there. Uh, if you're following my Instagram, you would have seen a few shots of it. And uh, we'll be out there with that bus on display. So be ready. Be ready to see one dope bus this weekend at Octo. So about five of us are rolling down there uh, together as a crew. I'll be doing some live streaming. And I'm sure I'll cut a video on it when we get back. But it's one of my favorite things to do is cruise my bus when I have the time. And I'm not in a rush. And uh, we're going to bomb down there Friday afternoon stay in Huntington Beach, and then go to Octo on Saturday. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to getting out there, man. Haven't been to a VW event since, uh, man, it's been forever since I had one. So we'll be looking forward to another event this year. Wanted to give some shout-outs for some people that picked up some merch last week. I had Gunter Hillman, who uh, picked up some merch out of Belrose, New York. Also Keith Porter out of Pinehurst, Texas. And Mark Brandt, Colorado Springs, the fellas uh, from uh, – uh loof craft fabrication picked up some gear as well man so i appreciate those guys they haven't got their hats yet i have my hats are at my uh embroider right now getting uh some extra gear loaded up and send them fellas out a couple hats but appreciate you guys supporting the podcast uh look forward to putting out some more content got good ones coming up after this and uh this one again is a continuation of gary emery this is part two and this is the story of how uh, he goes into, creates the company Porsche Parts Obsolete and how that evolves into, you know, where he's at today as well as starting the whole outlaw thing and where that comes from. So uh, it's a great podcast. Enjoy that you guys are liking this history. Recently, I picked up a bunch more. After doing that podcast with him, I picked up some old uh, some old Dune Buggy magazines, the ones that Jim Wright from Wright Publishing before he started uh, Hot VWs. There was a uh, magazine out that was uh, Car Review. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. They're in my other office. 
and uh, car review, but dune buggy. And they were uh, pretty legit. So I got a couple of those. And we may be doing some buggy stuff coming up, just some buggy history and things to that degree. But I'm loving tracking down this history for you guys, as well as I love bringing you guys up-to-date modern content with people that are putting things out. So we got some guys coming up that are putting out some fresh new content or some fresh new product in the scene. Get them on the podcast and uh, get that information out to you guys. So hopefully we'll see you guys at Octa this weekend. Uh, Without any further ado, let's get into this week's podcast. Gary Emery, part two on Let's Talk Dubs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW Motors. It's incredible that, you know, it's one car, one design, and how we trace the roots back to hot rodding to your dad. Yeah. And and his roots in hot rodding. And and your dad, uh, I'm assuming not still around. Is your dad still around? No, he's been gone since 2004. But. And now you're, so now your dad, we got a little bit of time to talk about your dad's story. Crossing over into the hot rod world, what's your dad's story, and how does your dad get into the whole hot rod thing? Because we know he ends up at Chick Iverson, hand selected by Chick to yeah. work in the body shop. Right? How does he? Because because we all know when you're pursuing, like everybody doesn't want to get the corporate job, but the corporate job is like where you get your consistent paycheck. You're not chasing jobs. You're not fighting with customers. You're making your money. You can have your your, your lifestyle. And we all know that having your own business is kind of the struggle to make ends meet and you're kind of hand to mouth most of the time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's a transition point there, but how does your dad get into hot rodding and what, what pushes him that direction? Well, my get, my dad grew up in Burbank. Oh, wow. So you're like, Oh yeah. Generational Southern California. Burbank. Uh, Shop was in Burbank. We lived in North Hollywood and my dad in, from the time he was like, Eight nine years old, he had he had uh, a newspaper route, which became a magazine route, and he was a entrepreneur. He bought up his friends' routes when they didn't want <laughs> and doubled them up. Okay, he did that until he was thirteen. He lived two blocks from Warner Brothers Studios. Really. Uh, and he was already interested in cars. He said that his route of delivering magazines, he said in Burbank, every few blocks would have a sprint car being built in the garage. Oh, wow. When he was a kid. Yeah. You know, in the 30s. Sure. Right? So he and he would stop and rest his bike, and he would be hanging out these guys, you know. And so he would, <clears throat> he got to know them. And they'd say, "Well, we got to send the, we got to take this to the machine shop." And 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 he'd say, "Well, if he could, he said, uh, you know, I could take that by, drop it off for you, and I'll bring it back to you, you know." So a lot of the machine shops were hooked up to to uh, uh, metal crafters. Okay, Burbank was very big with special built special built cars mm-hmm. because of all the all of the uh, 
actors and producers that wanted something different. A lot of one-off stuff. The one-off stuff. Mm-hmm. So this one, this one machine shop was in the same building as one of the crapped autocrap places. Yeah. With these little sliding doors. So if he could wait for having something machine, he was looking through that door. So he's watching, you know, Clark Gable's uh, uh, Cadillac with a lowered top on it being done. And he's watching. He's all interested in all this stuff. So he decides he wants to be closer to all this stuff going on. And so when he was 13, he decided he wanted to do detailing cars. And Warner Brothers Studio had a dirt parking lot. And so he figured, well, I'll just go over there and start wiping the cars off and getting them ready for these producers, directors, and all the big wheels and actors. Right. So he started hanging out, cleaning the cars up for those people. And then it got to where, you know, your tires need to be changed or your car needs to be lube and oil changed. So my dad's driving those suckers all over Burbank with no driver's license. <laughs> and the convertibles with the top down, of course, the cars got all dusty in the inside. So he actually kind of came up with a tonneau kind of a cover. Oh, really? To put on the cars yeah. in the 30s. So that so they wouldn't get dusty and they wouldn't get sit in the hot seats, right? Sure. So in nineteen in nineteen thirty seven, there was a director, producer, director, and he had a daughter who was an actress, and she had a Dodge convertible, and it was she, he bought it for a brand new. So the father he's got a big car and and. Uh, and then he gets his daughter this little convertible. My dad really liked that Dodge convertible. And the, the guy, the father said one day, he says, you know, my daughter's getting married, so they're going to get a bigger car, so we're going to be selling the Dodge. Well, my dad's 14 or 15 by this time, <laughs> right? And he said, uh, I might be interested, you know, uh, he says, well, it's it's almost a new car. It's only six months old. It's it's not going to be cheap. So he says, well, what's, what's the price? He bought it, okay, before he's 16. Wow. He's like 14 and a half, 15 years old. What did he buy the car for? $600 or something, like $500. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, a new car was $1,800 yeah, probably was, back you know, in the day. So, but it was, you know, almost, a, it was a black car. So and that's a lot of money to come up with back in those times. Yeah. So, you know, he... In high school, in the auto shop, him and Dean Bachelor, who I told you was, yeah, he's still world famous, but he's passed away now too. So, uh, they worked on stuff in the in the auto part, auto class, but he didn't have all the tricks and didn't have a you know. So the windshield, he actually had chopped mm-hmm. by one old shop there and and he did he did some uh welding and and uh taking moldings off and changing stuff like that you know so he did what he could and he painted it but he had some and he had carson build a carson top oh really yeah so it's a it's a chopped huh. uh, it's chopped carson top 
Yeah, it's a chop. Move the headlights from the side of the from the side of the grill mm -hmm. down to here. Lowered the, those, you know, kind of trick bumpers, white walls, full moon hubcaps, fender skirts, and it's really, I mean, if you Google Neil Emery's '37 Dodge, boom, it comes up on the really on the internet. You just it comes right up. Yeah, and it's a, a very famous car. So where's that car now? We have no idea. How long did he own it? Uh, until I think until forty one, right after right after Pearl Harbor. So he got rid of it before he's got his family and all that kind of stuff, or he's just now getting a family and all that. Well, I was born in forty three. They got married in, in forty two. Yeah. Uh, he bought to replace the convertible. He didn't really make a bigger car because he got a thirty six, a thirty six Ford business coupe, a thirty coupe, you know. So yeah, <laughs> a little tiny. Yeah, <laughs> a thirty six coupe. They they don't come any better than that. So, so, so he and then after and then so he went in the navy. Yeah, and he had worked in uh, at Douglas Aircraft doing aluminum work and welding and stuff like that. And when he got out of the service. He started working at a body shop, and then him and my uncle went together and started Valley Custom. So what? So they started Valley Custom what year? 1948. In 1948. Have you ever heard of Alex Exidius, SoCal yep. Speed Shop? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he did work on their belly tanker. Yeah. Um, did the headrest fairing and stuff on it. And when, when, when Dean Batchelor got out of Dean Batchelor was a, a prisoner of war in Germany. And when he came back from the war, of course, my dad and everybody thought he was dead because no, no communications. Right. And he came to see my dad first because he was my dad's best man at the wedding and hung out with the dad. And then he went over to Alex. And Alex has got these belly tankers, belly tank car, and he's running El Mirage you know, yeah, speed, uh, dry lake stuff. Lakes. And he tells Alex that, you know, if you would put an envelope body on that, on that, uh, on that chassis, mm -hmm. you know, it'll go faster. And he's going, Alex going, a bullet, little skinny wheels, and it's going to be faster. He says, so they, they tried it and it worked. So they actually finished the SoCal Streamliner uh, early in 19, started in 48. They mm -hmm. finished all the body work and everything at the end of, uh, early in, in, uh, 49 and tested it at El Mirage Dry Lake. Dean Batch of Barrel rolled it in a crosswind, yeah. uh, injured him pretty good. And that's the original belly tanker? No. Well, they, they used the chassis right. of the belly tanker. And then you're saying they, they tapered the ends back instead of being pointed? Oh, this thing's dragging a little bit. There it is. Oh, really? So that's the one they helped design. They built it. My wow. dad and my uncle built it. So that's that's Dean Baxter standing in. Yeah. And after, see, it's already been damaged right there. Yeah. This is a recreation of it because it was destroyed in. Barrel rolled at Daytona Beach. Oh, wow. Bill France started NASCAR. 
Yeah. He asked him in 50, 51 to come and do an exhibition at, at uh, Daytona, and it, uh, it hit a bump and was totally destroyed. Yeah, that, that, that's running. That, they were running on the beach back then. You grab that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the pictures, like with it right there, mm-hmm. that's the way it looked at Bonneville. Nineteen first Bonneville Speed Week, nineteen forty nine. This is a picture right here. Uh, they went a little under two hundred miles an hour with what? What motor in that thing? Ford Flathead with three carburetors. <laughs> The flat, the flathead's kind of intense. I mean, have that thing. <laughs> so that's that's forty nine. They didn't have good enough tires to do a backup to get a to backup pass to make to make it a a, a a recorded pass, right? And so in nineteen fifty, they came back. You know, it had been barrel rolled and it had been it had been jackknifed on the way to Bonneville in forty nine. So by in forty nine at the first one it already had damage. Yeah, that's in front of my dad's shop right there. That day that picture was taken, mm-hmm. I was there. Oh really? And I always knew I was there, but I couldn't prove it because nobody could find the photo of it. <laughs> so you you remember being that? So how old are you at the day that they're taking this picture of that that car? Well, I'm going to show you something here. You'll see it in just a second when I get to it. So Dean Bachelor was always around my dad, always had a camera, always taking pictures of everything. Yeah. So here is the car, a different view than you're seeing there. Right. That's in front of the shop. Okay. There's a, That's another view of it in front of the shop. But this is looking out at the street. So oh, wow. I knew I was there. And you see the reflection line underneath that car right mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Well, it's the same reflection line as here. And I was standing right here taking a picture of it with a wooden camera that my dad made for me so I could look like a, like Dean was taking it. So Dean took a picture of me taking a picture of the car. And I'm like five, six years old. But And I remember doing it. Really? But I never could find the picture. And we didn't find it till after my dad passed away. We found it, the picture. So how long does your dad own Valley Custom Shop? for he worked until uh 62 only part-time after 60 because we'd go back to uh burbank in the valley to uh finish restoring our house for paint for sale so on the weekends he would also work that's a picture of me that's you taking the picture of your dad's car yeah with a wooden camera Wow. And Dean Bachelor took it. So he's <laughs> That's a great picture. That's so cool. That's great to have that. I mean to have that yeah. history documented, you know. So your dad, so then you grow up working working with your dad at all? Yeah. Sanding cars. So you just come down the shop, sand cars, and you probably you well, probably when, you probably thought there's gotta be easier way than this. Well, when I'm little, <laughs> you know, I'm down there. I'm sweeping the floor. I have this red wagon that I want to paint a different color. So I'm sanding it and sanding it. Okay, Dad, is it ready to paint now? Nope, you just got to feather it better. We'll put some primer and want you to feather it. Feather and feather and feather. Do it again. Do it again. Do it. You know. Then I did a bike. Yeah. I did a bicycle frame and fender. 
so I'm trying to, you know, and I just got to where I'm not getting anywhere because I'm just, every time I go down there, I'm standing on my wagon or I'm <laughs> standing on a bicycle thing, you know. You're not seeing results. No, <laughs> but, but I can tell you, you know how you say holding the torch? Right. My dad's hammer welding and shrinking. And I'm not right there with it as far as this thing here is. Yeah. And he'd rosy it up, rosy it, hand me the torch. So I'm held, I spent my time at Valley Custom handling, holding Hold the, the torch. torch. <laughs> and talking to all the customers. Yeah. You know. That's wild. I had, there were some real characters, you know. Uh, Norm Grabowski was a big character. Yeah. The, the, first, the guy who did the, the first fad tea. You yeah. Know, that's just done by Valley Custom. Oh, wow. Kooky Kooky. Lend me your comb, that car. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff that came out of Valley Custom Shop. I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah. especially being in Burbank, that's like the hotbed of hot rotting, right? I mean, that's oh yeah, that's where a lot of it's born from because in California, you know, you've got the the flexibility of, you know, the perfect weather year round of just L.A. L.A. Uh, San Fernando Valley. That's where it all started with every everything. You know, that's yeah. the beginning of all of it. What's there where Valley Custom Shop is now? Well, if it was still the same building, Rod would own it. Oh, but really? It's been it's been modified. It's too different, you know. It's, yeah. They tore the whole thing down, you know. There was nothing fancy about the shop. Yeah, no, it was probably a garage. It's a bare bare strip down, well, nothing that's, garage. That's before they added the they added a roof coming out like that. But that look at look at uh, Alex's. That's Alex's building over there. Yeah. Uh, that was in that corner right there, right there. That's, yeah, right here. Yeah, that's Alex's building. Yeah, just a basic. Yeah, so this is 1950. This is the second 1000 or the second uh, Bonneville Speedweek, hmm. and that's Alex right there. And he's still alive. He's in his high 90s. Yeah, great guy. He comes to see Rod, you know, at Rod's shop. So yeah, man, if I mean it's that's a you know, and there's we've only covered really two chapters. You know, you're 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 kind of growing up around the hot rod scene and how you end up in with the Volks in the Volkswagen world. Mm-hmm. And then you have this huge impact in the Porsche world. But then you you end up working from the dealership being in the parts department. You move to do you move from Volkswagen to and they start doing Porsche Volkswagen or are they doing Volkswagen Chick Iverson? We were Porsche BW from the beginning. And then so And Ferrari. And and that kind of lends into you how you start Porsche Porsche parts obsolete, right? Yeah. And that's a pretty wild story. Oh you know, yeah! How yeah. you got started with that? I mean, you know, you, here you are, just a guy. And and are you, I mean, are you more at the time? Are you more business minded? Or are you just kind of like, I mean, I hate working for these guys. I sure would love to figure something out to do on my own. Like, <laughs> I mean, what what's the what what's kind of the the mentality you're having at that time? Yeah, I want I wanted to run my own type of business. You know, you're you're, so you're like me, you're not a great employee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. But, you know, before you get off of that subject, uh, yeah. all of the BW clubs, mm-hmm. so many of them started in, or- in right in oh, Newport yeah. Beach, Huntington Beach. All the guys, you know, uh, uh, Richard Kemble, you know, and all those guys in the, from that area. Yeah. I've known them since they were little kids. Yeah. I mean, Richard Kemble in, in, in high school... Uh, he wanted to do uh, something in, for a project in high school. So I had a 25 horsepower Volkswagen cutaway, factory cutaway. 
Oh, really? So he restored it in high school. A 25 horse, huh? 25 horse. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a that, that's a that's a pretty rare bird right there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh but all, no. I mean all it's just like it's almost like it's starting over for me now yeah. with that with the VW stuff because I've got young guys yeah in in uh Oregon that have been hanging around me since they were 13 14 years old. Yeah. Their dads would come to the VW Porsche camp out and bring them. And so I mean they're my buddies. Yeah. <laughs> They're my buddies. You know, it's, it's it's but it's one of those things where I think the car, you know, because the Porsche world, and I know you're in the Porsche world, but the Porsche world's a little different from the standpoint of uh, like it seems to just be a different some to some degree a different group of people. The VW group is like a real a real cross breed of different individuals. You know, Porsche's gotten to the point where you got to have a, a few nickels in your pocket, or somebody left you a car. That, that's kind of how it is. And, well, that's where it is for the kids now. Yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, they're just so expensive now. Yeah, but then Volkswagen's getting expensive too. They are. They're starting to they're starting to climb up now yeah, as well. So, but you work here as a kid with your dad. You end up at Chick Iverson, and now your dad's there as a body shop guy. You're over there working the parts department. It's get you clearly can't have a good feeling after what went down with your car. You feel a little bit betrayed. There, there's no way yeah, around yeah. that. Period. That's yeah, but so yeah, it is what it of, is. Yeah, yeah, it is what it, it is. It was a learning experience. But it's one of those things where it's like, what you know? Listen, we're all men. We go back home. Our wife's like, "What'd you do?" And I'm like, "Well, I went there, and there's nothing I could do about it." And yeah. then the wife's like, "You better do something about it." Yeah. <laughs> and so now, so you're there. You're working, and you're and you're going through the thing. And this is this is the inception of how. Are you doing Porsche parts a little bit, uh, dealing in Porsche parts at all before this, or it's more you're just doing your day to day grind and then you see an opportunity? Well, Porsche parts obsolete was built on an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, Porsche was was when they'd have an inventory and it didn't show any sales for something, they were dumping it, writing right. it up. I mean, American car companies, they all do it. You know, American car companies are usually good for 10 years. I think that's a law. By law, they have to create, have parts for all the cars for at least 10 years. But, you know, Porsche and VW both have gone way beyond that. Right. You know. Uh, well, now in hindsight, they, they have all Mercedes, Porsche. They all have the, their classic parts selection. Right. So you kind of saw this before it was a thing. Right. Because it's. So I bought all of Porsche's obsolescent nationwide in my brain. Now, how did that start? Tell me the story about how that started where you're at the loading dock. Well, <laughs> I was a parts runner. You know, I'm in the parts department. And I'm waiting on mechanics. I'm waiting on a little bit, you know, still learning the thing. But, you know, at least once a week, I drove from Newport Beach to Culver City to the Porsche distributor. And your single cab. In whatever. I mean, sometimes it was a double cab. Sometimes it was a single cab. Dealer dealer parts runner vehicle. Right. How right. cool is that? Yeah. So, you know, I'm parked at the dock and I go in and give my number 146 dealer number. I'm here to pick up emergency order and call me when, you know, they'll call me when their order's ready and I can go pick it up. You'll go hang out outside by the double yeah. cab. So I'm, I'm watching the, you know. Of course, we didn't have a phone or didn't have a radio in these cars. Right. We don't want to be, you know, 
distracted distracted from driving <laughs> so we didn't have it you know so you could read a book and I, I you know i'm almost illiterate i can hardly read or write yeah that's why i talk so much yeah <laughs> they didn't know i'm just dyslexic yeah but you're still a t- you're still a storyteller yes but it's because i have to tell it i can't spell it yeah i can't write it <laughs> so so um so i'm watching a forklift with a metal crate going down to the end of the of the uh, dock and dumping it in a dumpster. Just dumping brand new parts, NOS parts really, in the box. Really, the biggest dumpsters you ever seen. The really big commercial ones, not the one you get that's you know twenty feet long. It's the big big ones. Right. And they just dumped the stuff because it had a dent in it or. A, seat had a tear in it or something you know or they can't figure out the part number for it or something you know so that happened i'd go back to chick and say you know they're throwing away good parts we got to be able to do something now you can't do that now you can't do that so you know i worked my way up to parts manager and i'm still going there as a parts manager and i still know that they're dumping it but the what happened somewhere in there they used to just take it to the dump. Right. And, of course, the stuff come out of the dump to all the independent shops. Well, they figured that out. So now we got to destroy it so you smash it. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, I could never get anything going. And then about the time I've had it and I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to work for Bosick Polak, all of a sudden, Chick has got a great idea. What's that? We're going to start buying all the Porsche's obsolescence. I go, oh, really? What a great idea, chick. (laughs) (laughs) You know, unbelievable. Now I'm 30 something years old, you know, and, uh, you know, so, so, so in my mind, back when I first was watching, I'm just thinking of Culver City. He said, we're going to buy it nationwide. Volkswagen of America. Sold, supplied, sold Porsche parts and Porsche cars came through Volkswagen of America in New Jersey. They used VW's distribu- distribution lines to yes. get all their stuff yes. out. There was only two independent. You had Hoffman in New York, mm-hmm. and you had Riviera Motors in, in uh, Portland. Mm-hmm. They didn't deal through there. They dealt directly for the factory. Oh, really? Yeah, they were separate. So there were seven U.S. distributors. Seven. So once we started buying the deals, which we did from 73 to 1986. And they'd, they'd buy them for pennies on the dollar? I don't know whether I want to say exactly how much. But I mean, it was in the trash or we could sell it to you guys. It was based on distributor net also. It was not on. Right. That's good. So. So even better margin, but at the time, yeah. but, yeah. but also to factor at the time, some of these cars are 10, 15 years old. They're not super popular, not a ton of them on the road. So you, it's a, it's a long play for an investment. Well, yeah, but you know, uh, life could have been even more different for me because they wanted me to buy all the Volkswagen stuff too. And I can tell you, I just said, no, 
I got I too just much. want the portion. There's, there would be too much because right. seven distributors, I make the bid mm-hmm. in it, and the, the bid goes to to New Jersey. Right, VW of America. Volkswagen of America. Mm-hmm. And they say, all right, we'll One check. One check. Okay. As soon as that check's there, they tell all seven distributors, ship the parts to Gary. And I had a warehouse. If you've ever come into John Wayne Airport, mm-hmm. before you cross the freeway to take to land, I was right in that big industrial area. So as soon as the check hits... All seven distributors are aware, and the stuff's already in containers anyway. Right. It's already like back, like this is obsolescence. What are we doing? It's already it? in containers. So they said, ship. Well, back then, truckers didn't have to stop and sleep for 10 hours or whatever. <laughs> so Culver City is 50 miles from the dealership or from my 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 place. I'm in... I'm in uh, Coast or Santa Ana. Uh huh. And the dealer was in Newport Beach. So I'm in I'm in Santa Ana, Costa Mesa area. So the first dist- semis that come are coming from Culver City. All leaving at about the same time. So that that area right there of commercial buildings got locked up by the third day. I mean there was trucks waiting for me to unload them. Oh, wow. I got seven truckloads from Culver City alone. Just from Culver City? Yeah. And now you got other truckloads. Now, now hold I on. I got seven more distributors, <laughs> uh, and they're all on their way. Now, let me ask this question. Now, is this a par- Is this on your own, or is this a partnership with Chick Iverson? Like, is, is this... He ha- owned me. So it was like, hey, let's be business partners. I had one of those experiences. Yeah. Let's be business I, partners. I don't want to talk about the end of that deal. <laughs> it's not... I don't want to talk about that. But yes, so I was it was my business to run until I retired. It was hands off like this. Now, when you say retired, you retired up to Oregon. No, I bought I finally bought the place from whoever owned it at the time in in uh uh 90 89. Mm-hmm. 80, 89 I finally bought it for myself. You bought what? The Porsche the Porsche parts? What I had left because right. Porsche quit selling to me in '86. No, why'd they stop selling? Because they realized that that was a good idea, so they started doing it. Right, they it didn't. Like, it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't work like they thought it was because I already had all the stuff. Right. So, so, <clears throat> so you have this business. You you get this thing started, and this you've got now. You're a VW guy for the most part up until this point, and now you're dealing in the Porsche world. So, oh, I was well in the Porsche world. But already, but right. Know, but yeah. I mean, like you start to get, you know, I mean, a, a beetle is a lot easier to cart around a bunch of kids in than it is in a, in a three fifty six. But now you start getting into the three fifty six world and you start, since you've got access to all these parts, you can buy blown up cars and put them back on the road because you've got access to all the parts. And so, well, I just did cars for myself. You know, I, I, Linda and I bought in 75, I mean, 65, mm-hmm. we bought a 61 Porsche. So we bought it when we were pretty young. Yeah, four year, it was a four-year-old car. Yeah. 
and then I that, I bought a '61 coupe, and then uh, a, a two couple years later, my uncle who got a divorce wanted something to go chase ladies with. Perfect. So he bought a '58 Carrera <laughs> Speedster. Oh, it happened to have a pushrod motor in it, just because he was offered it both ways. In the my friend mechanic who worked for Jack McAfee in those days, he uh, he said, you're better off with a pushrod motor than a four-cam motor. So it's he bought more he available bought. parts. Yeah, so I I bought that from him. Bought the, the 58? Well, I still had my 61. Nice. And uh, so because my uncle thought he would do better if he had an XKE Jag. <laughs> a different class of lady <laughs> so so and then in, uh, and then I didn't have another after I got rid of both of those uh, I I in 73 uh, Linda my wife had a, a 73 Volkswagen mm-hmm. and I and she loved her Volkswagen like she's always loved her Volkswagens I found somebody in Costa Mesa that had a 65 911 with a hole in the piston. So I traded her Volkswagen for the Porsche. And so then I started fixing it up at the body shop. So my son is 46 years old now. Mm-hmm. I took my wife to the hospital to have Rod in a 65 Porsche with RSR flares and a ducktail to have him. And he went home in that same car. And three or four years later, I drove my wife to the hospital in the car, now painted black, RSR flares. <laughs> I rock tail now. <laughs> R roll bar, sports Recaro seats, factory nines and elevens. Yeah. CB lights on the front. I took Linda to the hospital to deliver Renee. Boy, she must be an angel. And then, <laughs> and then, I picked her up to brought her home in that. <laughs> so, so I know the funny part. All the guys are thinking like, "How cool is that?" And all the women are like, "Really? That's what he took you there in?" That was oh, the you know what? <laughs> my wife, the- my life, my wife loves Volkswagens, <laughs> and she loves Porsches. Yeah. So, so and then I started doing. I always would have one car. I always did at least one car a year to go to the big Porsche events. Now you, you but you kind of uh, doing the Porsche stuff, even back then. Because you're the guy that they've attributed the name Outlaw to. Like you, did you come up with that name or? No, they just started calling me that. Because you would just show up like you didn't even care. You'd show up in a 58 four cam car with a no four cam motor. (laughs) Well, I started doing cars like Jack McAfee Imports was a Porsche dealer in, Uh in Burbank. And growing up in Burbank, North Hollywood. Jack McAfee, the owner himself, was a racer. He raced car. He raced. He raced uh, La Carrera Pan America. He raced El Mirage Dry Lake. He drove sprint cars. He drove for Porsche. 
you know, 917s and all that stuff. His employees all either had, if they could afford it, they had a Porsche. All the mechanics, most of them had Porsches. A few of them had Volkswagens. If a car got wrecked that came in, it got wrecked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Porsche parts went on the Volkswagens. So they all the VWs in Burbank. All from Porsche back powered. There are pushrod Porsche powered. So they that's where the story of, comes from, where every guy comes up to you in your Volkswagen and says, my buddy's got one with a Porsche engine in it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there was there was four or five guys in Burbank that had Volkswagens with four cam motors in them. Get out of here. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 Rod, that's insane. Rod Tation had one. Al Kadrobi had one. Uh, Tom Kearns had one. Poor Cam. Some of the guys had pushrod motors. Almost everybody had Porsche drum brakes. And those just fit right on. The Porsche drum brakes just went right on the spindles. Yeah, yeah. And, Not a lot uh, of modification to make and, those work. Uh, John Thomas. John <clears throat> Thomas at McAfee's had a split window, 51 split window, mm-hmm. with the right dash, the right back window. And it had Porsche disc, disc brakes on it, Porsche steel wheels. Oh, wow. I don't know if they were steel alloy. I can't remember. I'm not sure. But it had a Porsche 1500cc early Porsche motor built with Weber's and stacks and, you know, Porsche steering wheel. So ready to Porsche rip. brakes. And that was, he He was outside salesman for Coney Shocks from McAvee because McAvee was a Porsche of a Cody distributor. distributor. And what year is this around? 50 or 60, 61, 2, 3, like that. Uh, and you're getting to know these guys from doing the parts deliveries. Oh, I knew them from high, from just out of high school. So these are all your high school buddies are all now, they're all working for Volkswagen dealerships or Porsches and whatever. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've, Two or three of the guys that I went to school with ended up working for Porsche dealers or VW. Yeah. So, so now we're we're talking about you starting to do the outlaw stuff. So, so how does that? What was the first thing that you? Well, how does that? How does that come about? Just, just the, the cars that I would see in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Once I was in Newport Beach, and I bought my, I bought my. 63 bug new my 53 bug you know those things uh, i'm having as much fun with the bugs as i am porsches you know and mixing the stuff to do together now were you if you want to perform stuff you would just take a porsche motor and put it inside a bug like you weren't building big bug motors or having them built uh i didn't really have too many hot motors in my cars until a little bit later mm-hmm. you know i mean i you were more about reliability. Well, my, my, mine were dual port or single port, 1600s. 1500 was a big deal for a yeah. long time, you know. Yeah. Everything was 30, 25, 36, and 40 horsepower, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, <clears throat> so we did Porsche brakes and stuff like that, on, you know. So I always did that kind of stuff. And the Porsches in Burbank, you didn't put bump. You took the bumpers off. You put Nerf bars you took big stock exhaust off, put a burst on the system, you know. Speedster headlight grills, you know, 
Nardi steering wheels, decambered, all that stuff. And everybody did that in Burbank? Like that's that, absolutely that, they were all they were all doing they were all hot rodding their three fifty sixes. I I say Jack McAfee Imports was the, it was always they were the beginnings. And that was the inspiration for you. Like you'd see those guys, you'd be like, man. Well, I, I was wanna... already a hot rodder, so it only fell into place. So right. So I started doing cars for myself at least one a year and going to the Porsche things and uh and uh my cars I, I usually I never put one for sale, but I sold one almost every every one I finished, I drove for a little bit and it was already sold. Yeah. So I mean a bunch of these cars are my old cars. But I mean you you'd finish a car and you'd kinda of make it so really ultimately the outlaw style's almost like a cow look Porsche. Well, it's like the, the the style comes from like Burbank, right? I mean, it's like a, it's like a Burbank kind of style. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I'd start going to concourse stuff and be parked in the. You know, see, see, this is one. I, that's a two thousand dollar one right there. That's a nice car. And so you built that car, numbered and everything on it. So the so the first outlaw car you that you that you kind of do and they take, just started calling me though that goddamn darn Gary you know he's he said what a some guys who conquer they said what a shame what a shame you know it's stupid what he does you know what a shame well you know and you would show up regardless because you're the parts guy they got to deal with you because they're buying their parts from you right yeah but I mean I'd show up and you know my car's in the parking lot and I got a crowd around it and. They're Q-tipping their car, and there's two guys <laughs> looking at it. You know, my, my flying horse, my flying horse car. Yeah. You know, by the time I ended up taking all the parts off of it, if I didn't have something in stock that people needed, I'd take the parts off of my off your own car, the one that had been flipped. Really, the one that I put the horses on. Um, and my car ended up being a bare tub, and it was for a long time. And Rod says, "Let's take that thing to the, bring it to North Hollywood." My car. Yeah. He says, one of these days we're going to take one of these race cars because we supported 15 Porsches at the race, at at vintage races. Really? They took my bare tub and took everything out of this car and put in it. Get out of here. So my flying horse car that I told you about. Yeah. Yeah. It has all this DNAs in my car. So this car, you've owned this car how long? 28 years. And now we talk about the flying horse that you put on there. Well, you see how this, see how I did a, my, that's my, my racing stripe. It's only comes up there. Cause that's, a, that's like a cardboard box is this side up. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, the design of those, of those cars, like the outlaw style has become all of a sudden the outlaw is the in thing. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to have one. But you know, the, 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 the part I think about it is you enjoy driving the car. I mean, is that really your whole motivation for building it? Like you want sure. to, you want it to look cool, turn heads, be different, know that it's your car when you see it. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask this question. I just got to ask a question to a three since I got a three fifty six guy in my presence. How come nobody does the notchbacks? Oh, why does anybody build the? I mean, they there was one found here in Vegas like maybe six seven years ago from a buddy of mine. He bought it for nine hundred bucks. And then he just turned on and said, oh, no, it's too rusty. I'm getting rid of it. And I thought, these have got to be more rare, way more rare than 356. They are more rare than any of them. And they were nobody wanted them. And they're my favorite. 
And what's the per, what, what was the what's the story behind the notchback? Why did they make a notchback? I mean, what was the, I, I, you know, what was the the deal with it? Well, was it an option? I mean, you a cab, a cabriolet with a hard top looks just like that, or yeah, yeah, I've seen he's the, done. The, oh, I haven't. I mean, seen no, it. my no, excuse me, his his cabriolet, the black one, no, the silver one, I'm the special, sure. the special. Yeah, he, you know, and that's the thing. He's got he's got a lot of a lot of super creative ideas in the way that he does. Well, that's what we do. The, the cars that he does, and and it's kind of we like, did that car. And this, I, I have to be honest, this is my favorite car. That's Dennis Krantz's car. This car, th- this black 356 yep. is my favorite car. And the guy that's building my 51 split window right now, I was trying to tell, I was trying to get him to figure out how we could do these louvers on my W deck lid, but it's now painted and it didn't happen. But I tell you, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it, it, it just the, now the coolers on the side here, the little, um, yeah, quarter, the quarter. Yep panel coolers mm-hmm. are those actually functional now the rag top in your 356 this one here mm-hmm. oh yeah is that a where do you get the rag top from that's a goldie they didn't come factory did they or they was it an aftermarket option you could buy for the 356 uh in europe you you know they if you wanted a sunroof in europe uh germany the rag top sunroofs are always very popular you know, and yeah. uh, so Goldie made this these ragtop sunroofs. If you wanted a <clears throat> a sunroof, you wanted a steel one. They built it that way. If you wanted a cloth roof, cloth, then they would just send it over to to Goldie, and they put this one in. And what I did is I took my brother restored a C coupe that had this in it. Most of them you see with that are, are European mm-hmm. deliveries. And my brother restored a SC coupe. For a guy in Flo- in uh, Fallbrook in his shop, and the guy wanted an electric sunroof, so they he brought in electric sunroof top, and said, "I want that. I don't want that rag top. Get out of here." So my my brother kept it, and I told one of my buddies, "You should buy this." So he bought it. When I got this car, it had about ten different colors on it. And we stripped it down to bare. And what year is that car? It's a '63. Okay, and so it's a C. It's a B. Oh, C when a C was '64, '65. Yeah, disc brake. Only thing on it from '62 and '63. It's the same body, but they put disc brakes on them. So this is a '62 with drum brakes. Okay. So I got the car all ready to paint. It was just too many coats of paint. We stripped it all, and I wanted the Cura two balance, which they've since I sold this, they've hit something and they pulled this thing out a little bit. So it's kind of weird looking, but, uh, uh, that's a factory balance. Yeah. Current for the current twos, the four cam cars. So I put that on a couple of different cars that I built. So the car was all ready to go next door to be painted in Costa Mesa. And I said, I called my buddy, Barry. Hey, Barry. You still have that rag top top? He goes, yep. I says, I want it. He says, okay, I'll bring it over. He'll be there in a few minutes. Lived in Fountain Valley, so he just drove over and dropped it off. Guy working for me, Richie, little short guy. I said, he was like this tall. I said, he says, what do you want to do today, boss? 
I said, I want you to put that sunroof, that car before you send it next door. So it's like a wood buck that goes in the bottom. Yeah. That fits the roof. It falls right into place on the roof. Then it's got the outlined ounce top rails. That's how, that's how the parts go together? Yeah. It's got a wood substructure underneath it? Yep. That's crazy. And then and then aluminum trim work on the top. So I said, Richie, take that thing out of there and put it on the roof, mark it, cut it out, and put the other on it. He put it on. He, he did it in an hour. Oh, wow. And he had that, you know, and I said, okay, what am I going to do now? I said, what do you mean? I said, finish, but he says, I've already done it. I said, okay, we'll take it back out and take it, push it next door and get the, to. Get it painted? Yeah. That's wild. Give it to Edwin and tell him to paint it, to paint it. Edwin didn't do that one. I was, I was wrong. But anyway, some guy that was on drugs that painted that damn thing. Um, well, painters are always a crapshoot. Not always. Not always. Sorry. <laughs> there's some good ones out yeah, there. Oh, but, there's some real good ones. My brother's one of the best. <laughs> but sometimes, And Rod's painter, he's one of the best, too. But sometimes, you know, well, look, when you're doing things on a budget and just trying to get things done, it's a, it's a little different sometimes. So I built that car 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Yeah. Excellence Magazine did an article on this. After you sold it or before you sold it? A year ago. A year or two ago. Two ago. Still looks exactly the same way. These pictures are at the new owner. That's the Excellence pictures? No. Well, yeah. Excellence. Yeah. Now, what's the, what is, what, what you like Volks, you like Volkswagens and you like Porsches. Which do you tend to lean towards more? These days, now that I'm kind of semi-retired and don't have a lot of money, I still sell parts once in a while, but I don't advertise anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't have all the glitter stuff I used to have. Right. It's more, I mean, I still have shops when something's been lost, brackets and things. I have lots of that stuff, you know. I've still got tons of parts. Sure. But it's not... You probably have more glitter parts here than I do. <laughs> well, and that's because I don't sell them. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, this is well, you, well, you, you know buy what? the glitter pieces and you just kind of hang on to them. I sold everything to the last one. If I had two hundred of of a part, yeah. Remember, I got seven times seven. Yeah, that's crazy for the first two or three years, and then it tapered down. I mean, towards the end, it'd be three three containers per seven times seven. That's insane. Right. That's 21 containers. Yeah. That's when it was slow, when it was eight tapering off. And how long How long were that, that influx of parts coming in for? 73 to 86. From 73 to 86, they were, and you were, so were, were you doing it by a year section? Like you would take everything 10 years older and whatever? Or was that the cutoff or you just were doing 356 stuff? It wasn't 10 years or older sometimes. Uh, I mean, as soon as it went on Porsche's obsolete list. If it didn't sell so many in a certain amount of time, it's obsolete. Porsche says nine. Nine. <laughs> Get it out of here. Nine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I had parts, uh, you know, in, so, in 86, I was getting parts from 79, 80. For SC cars, huh? You, wow. know, you know, when you buy a... a an RS, an RS, a 911 RS, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've never bought one, but yeah. But have you ever seen pictures of them all restored? <laughs> yeah. You got white cars with 
blue wheels and blue stripes mm -hmm. or yellow or yeah or green or red or black yeah the wheels all color matched with the same right well the rims don't wear out on these cars right you know they just get restored so if you have a car and you want to put fuchs on it uh -huh. you want sevens and eights or eights and nines and nines and eleven you'd order them with a black background wouldn't you yeah you wouldn't order them. Why would you buy the? Yeah, Why would, would you buy them? Are gold? I mean, some are gold, some are blue, some are green, some are red. So that became a point. All of a sudden, I'm getting containers full of Fuchs, sevens, eights, nines. And and there's like the are these like the deep sevens or are these? This is like the mid seventies RS. All the deep. Well, they're, you know, they they're the ones where the, you know, the deep sixes and mm -hmm. the deep sevens the deep sevens are the ones that are super rare and they're and they add an inch on the backside. you know so you can't tell the difference between a deep six and a deep, deep six and a deep seven from the front you have to look at it from the back or the side well my favorite was when i built one of my first volkswagens i had a i had four deep sixes all the way around and everybody was like oh man those things are ugly look at those deep dish Porsche right wheels. right <laughs> and i was shamed into trading them yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's funny. My we talked earlier, and my buddy, uh, yeah, my buddy Todd, uh, my buddy um, Tom Woodford. We talked about. I met him from going to Pomona all the time, and he used to, he had a bus. He had a late model bay window bus with a uh, with a. I think it's the same guy. Is he a, kind of a tall guy? with a Carrera? Yeah, from Jersey. From he, yeah. he's been in Rainbow, California, for years, but now he lives up in Winnemucca. And now he's doing some land speed stuff. But when I'd go talk to him at the swap meet. Yeah, I know. It, that is the same. Yeah, yeah. I'd go talk to Tom and he'd say, you know what? At least you VW guys pay the price that stuff is worth. These, these Porsche guys are the worst. Because <laughs> <laughs> all the VW guys are buying up all the deep sixes and the four and a halves. Mm -hmm. You know? But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you've had, you've had a storied career of a bunch of different things. And, you know, getting into the Porsche parts thing, mm -hmm. I mean, that had to be. Incredible. So when you were telling the story about the about the RS wheels, mm -hmm. did you just get containers of RS wheels just showed up? Just like tons and tons and tons of those wheels? Well, there'd be lots of wheels. I got lots of them, yeah. Wow. You know. What was what was one shipment you got where you thought, I'll never sell all these? And to your surprise, you sold. I mean, because clearly, eventually you sell everything, you know? Well, what, what was your biggest surprise of something worth money that you thought was worthless? Oh, oh. Oh, well, now that they're all gone, the inertia seatbelts that have the yellow stripe for the RSs and stuff. Yeah. You know, the guys, a yellow stripe down the middle of it. You know, these boxes were this square, this tall. So far, four cubed. Yeah. So I'd have 20 boxes of 911 ones for this, 914s. I mean, everything... Ned, do you like do you like are you a 914 guy you like 914s yeah I are, do. are you from the school that's not not a real porsche <laughs> no i never i never you know because the original car 924 was a little edgy but the rest of them have all been good you know? and then the 924 turbo would be a, it's funny because the cars that oh. nobody wanted the 924 turbo today would be a cool car to have oh yeah or a gts or yeah. And down, no, yeah 924 you, yeah 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 i mean those those they're all good yeah. they're all good and but so throughout your time in the parts, Porsche parts obsolete, you were uh, 
you were still connected to a dealership, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you were essentially connected to Chick Iverson type thing. So were, but you weren't buying cars at the time. You weren't, you never bought a brand new Porsche. No, you're always more classic. You like the you like the classic old school. I spent my money on other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're up. So now you're up in Oregon, and, and in Oregon you do you do this camp out. You're talking about how often do you the camp out every? Is it every year? Every couple of years? It used to be every year, and uh-huh. then in 2012 we decided to wait three or four years. I mean, we did a couple more. You know, the next one whenever this. COVID things over with. We thought we were going to do one 2020. We had to cancel it. We already had everything all pre-ordered and set aside and deposits, and we finally had to cut that one off. So we let told everybody, because registration starts in January, we had two or three paid entries by the end of January, you know, and uh, ask them, you can give the money back or you can move it forward to the next year. Yeah. Well, well, now we're not going to have one this year either. Yeah, 2021. When do you normally do it? We did We did uh, 18 of them in end of June because we 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 go vintage. We did vintage racing through eight, through uh, 19 uh, uh, or 2000, 2006, mm-hmm. seven. And we, we supported about 10 356s. We supported one Pooper, which is a Porsche-powered Cooper. We supported uh, uh, one nine one nine zero four, one nine zero six, one nine zero eight K, one nine zero eight three, one KTM, or KM, KMW, K K. I can't remember the name of it now. And then we had a GT3 race car, and then we raced. In 2006, we had a Daytona prototype. Yeah. We raced Rolex. Wow. We, we were on the pole in 2006. That's pretty impressive. Now, all, all these cars that you supported, you'd go to all the vintage racing and support these cars as far as mechanically and... Usually 11 to 15 cars. Under us. Wow. Under Rod and I. Wow. And we had and we had uh one one mechanic stay with two cars. Make sure they never ran together so much. We put them in two different classes. Hmm. So uh And is that how the camp out started? Like the people you campaign the cars with, you guys would do a big camp No, we out started it before. Or? Well we we were just we were just uh we started out just uh, when we moved to Oregon. We already had two vintage race cars of our own, and then I built a car for Cameron Healy, uh, who owned uh, Kettle Foods, mm-hmm. Kettle Potato Chips, and then we started taking on more people. So, uh, you know, when we were in California, we supported three cars, and then when we got to Oregon in '93. 94 we started supporting more and we always had our camp out in, in uh, close to the end of june because by fourth of july weekend the next week and a half we were we were we had our cars all prepped when we did the camp out yeah and then we'd go 
the next two weekends, and we'd go to Seattle, then Portland, and then we'd do all up and down the West Coast. And the campout takes place where? On our property. It's 50, on? 50 acres. So you got 50 acres up in Oregon? Yep. Yep. How do you maintain 50 acres? <laughs> There's four homes on it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a it was a U.S. Calvary post. Get out of here. Yeah. And uh, it was a migrant farm workers camp originally in the 30s. Uh, there was... The average of 2,000 people lived on our property from 37 to 68. Average wow. yearly, 2,000 people. And in World War II, right after Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. when they were worried about the Japanese attacking the West Coast, overnight it turned to a U.S. Calvary post for five years. Yeah. And then after the war, it went back to, you know, I mean, there was... In the 30s and on up, it was a lot of Ellis Island people coming through from Europe, sure. coming to America. And if they were farmers, of course, they want to be in Willamette Valley is the best soil in the United States. So they'd want to come there. So we, you know, we had, there was about 80 cabins on the property. Well, really? And then they had some. Bunk, bunk houses and they had a couple of cul-de-sacs with like a little bit bigger homes it depend on how much money they had in fact at the back of the property it has uh, cement pads and water every like a campground yeah but it was just cement pads with a with a picnic table that's interesting so people coming from the dust pole and uh, dust bowl and some of that had their car with their mattress they go in the back there and and have a cement spot you know, and yeah. and they could set their tent up and that. So that's wild. So when you bought the property, did you take a bunch of that stuff down? Cleared a bunch of stuff. Uh, the guy that bought it in '68, the first time it became uh, private because it was government before. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy bulldozed a bunch. Of, the cabins were getting old. You know. Yeah. They were. They had pot belly stove and a cook stove in them, and a table and uh, bunks. You still got any of that? Are there any of the old remnants there on a property still? That guy cleared it all out. Huh? Just part of the the workshop where they where they maintained the tractors and stuff is still there. We use that, you know. And so you do the you do the camp out now every couple years. Just give it some time to build up a little bit. How many people do you get to turn up to this camp out? It grew every year. I mean, made it close to two thousand people. Two thousand people. Yeah. Wow. Fifteen two thousand. That's crazy. Yep. There's no way you get around to see everybody over there. Well, you told me earlier you get trapped in the barn telling stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you still so you still have a stash of parts that you still give for people, you, or you acquire parts for people? I haven't bought any parts from anybody since 2004. And you've still been bleeding parts off from what you got. <laughs> but like I said, I don't have much in the way of. I mean, people think shiny well, stuff. Yeah, know, yeah, like the old days, I had so much of the shiny stuff and the four cam stuff, and the, yeah, you know, I don't have that stuff anymore. I mean, yeah. Well, listen, you can't take it with you, right? You gotta, you gotta, yeah, well, you gotta move sold, it on. You know, everybody said you should have saved some of that well, for what? You know what? <laughs> for what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wish I had it now. If I had it now, I'd have the biggest collection of yeah. cars in the world. You know? What's the What's the rarest part out there? Now? Yeah, now. Like, no, 
three because they reproduce everything now right so i mean and what and what's your take on the value of like reproduction parts on stuff that's become obsolete you know what i mean like well i mean it used to be some of the stuff people would rest- make crappy stuff they don't do that too much anymore now it's pretty decent stuff yeah yeah i mean it's, it's good stuff and they're making more all the time you know so yeah so, so now you're just ta- you're just taking it easy. The Baja will get back on the road one day, and then yeah. it, even even if not, the tribute car will hopefully see. It. We talked about this year's Grand National Roaster Show, but that got canceled. So yeah, next would, year's Grand National Roaster we, Show we, we should we see. We'll probably have it done by then. We I wouldn't, uh, you know, when they first decided to have that, and I got called because they wanted the car there. I thought, yeah, it's feasible. Well, then with all the yeah, with everything happening. With all the pandemic stuff, I mean, and Rod's Rod's building the car. Yeah. It's at his shop. And uh, and it'll be nice. It won't be the only thing that won't look like the original. I mean, there's a few little things. But for the most part, the only thing you're going to recognize that's not correct on the on the car, it's going to have a Type 4 in it. Yeah. So. What about the wheels? Are you able to find those wheels? Oh, we've been able to, we found them. Another got, set? Oh, yeah, we got a couple sets. Now, how can you tell those are the right the right wheels? Like, are those, are the, no, you call those are Austin's? Uh, Anston's. Anston's sprints. Yeah. Are they stamped on the back? Or it's probably the only slot mag that's big 51205, right? Yeah, I don't, you know, there's, I, there's none of the others that look just like them. Right. You know? they're, they're the only slot yeah. mags that are 51205. I think we got. You know, we had tens and sevens. We got, we got couples, couple pairs of tens, one or two pairs of sevens. We have some sixes, and some five and a halves, and some four and a halves. I think. Are you able to find the original style 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 tires? They still making those? They don't make the Gates Commando, but there's the uh, Mickey Thompson wheel that's got the same tire that's got the same tread on it. That's what most of the guys are using. They look real good. They're great. Yeah. Well, I tell you, man, it's been uh, it, it's been a it's been a pleasure to have you on here. Well, it's been fun. I mean, uh, I definitely I definitely appreciate you coming on and telling some stories about what you got going on because there's definitely no shortage of good stuff. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. for sure, man, I'd love to uh, you know love to get another opportunity to uh, maybe sit down another time and we can get in depth in some of the uh, sure you know. I know where you're at. I can get you on the phone over there in uh, in, yeah. uh, in Oregon. So you might, have, you might have to come and see me, or something. I'm gonna have to come see. I'm, I, I got a reason to go up there. I got a couple reasons to go up there. Look at that photo. Yeah. You think Rod got started early? Yeah. Is that him? That's him inside the car, yeah. huh? He says, "Hey, Dad, can I drive the Baja?" I says, "If you can reach the pedals, well, you know, you can see. He couldn't even see over the windshield, but could... <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I'm trying to click a bigger picture of it. Well, cool. Why? Gary, I definitely appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll see we'll 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 see what'll happen. You know, yeah, yeah, in the near future. And I, I definitely thank you for your contribution to the uh, to the hobby. That's without no question. Problem. That's something I definitely appreciate. No problem. All right, and that concludes our second episode of Gary Emery, the uh, originator of the outlaw look, the guy who built the first Baja father of rod emery and son of neil emery and an entire three generation uh, family of hot rod custom car builder so 
I hope you guys appreciated it. It was definitely great to get to know Gary and uh, look forward to possibly going up to this camp out. And when I get some more information on there, I'll let everybody know up there. We may uh, invade that with a few Volkswagens of our own. And don't forget, if you want a shout out on the podcast, make sure you go and review us on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Also leave your name and a message when you write that review and we'll get you a shout out. This week, it's not a Honda. My buddy Adam Powell used to live in Vegas. Now he's out of Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out to Adam. Puts any car guy will enjoy this podcast about VWs and mixed in humor. So uh, don't forget, guys, subscribe to our YouTube channel. The podcast you just heard, I'll end up making some video clips for that with some picture overlays and whatnot. But uh, support the podcast. Go to letstalkdubs.com slash store. Pick up some merch and support your favorite podcast. Until next week, guys. See you at Octo. Later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by me.